Hello, and welcome to Casually Obsessed, a podcast about the pop culture we can't stop thinking about. I'm your host, Chelsea Bergen, and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a different piece of pop culture. Books, movies, television, anything obsession-worthy is up for discussion. Today, I've got a returning guest, Jillian Liebman, to talk about the BBC America show Orphan Black. About a year ago, when I first started dreaming about the show that would ultimately become Casually Obsessed, Orphan Black was on my original list of topic ideas, so I was super excited to get to have a conversation with Julian about it. We had so much to say that I split our conversation into two parts. This episode is part one, where we talk about the setup for the series and the early characters. We include some details about the show, but this episode is generally spoiler-free. We'll go more in-depth and more spoilery in part two. Anything we mention or recommend in this episode will end up in the show notes, which you can find at casuallyobsessedpodcast.com slash orphan dash black. If you enjoy the episode, please like and subscribe wherever you're listening now and share the show with a friend. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's start the show. people about Orphan Black, how do you describe it? Like what information do you give them or would you give them versus like what things do you not disclose? Oh, interesting. I didn't realize you were asking about disclosure. Um, I, I think I'm like pretty, uh, I give very little information about shows if I'm actually recommending them. And then if it's a show that I'm telling somebody about, but have no expectation that they're going to watch, I just spoil the shit out of it. But for Orphan Black, headline sci-fi, and then mostly I just convince them to watch it by describing how impressive Tatiana Maslany is. And that's basically it. You don't need to know anything else. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, because I'm never sure if I should say that it's clones or not. Or if I should just be like, I do usually set up the, the opening of the first episode where I'm like, there's this woman, she's on like a subway platform and she sees a woman that looks just like her and the woman jumps in front of a train. So I usually like set that up, but I don't necessarily get into like the other characters or the other things that are going on. Um... But yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's a sh- like the fact that they are clones is the premise of the show. Like it's central to the show. But then it's also it's not that it's like a mystery in the beginning, but it does take a while before they actually say that because Sarah, the character that's like introducing us to the world, doesn't know. It it also like doesn't occur to her until it's until Allison says like that they're clones, which on the one hand makes sense because who's like clearly clones, but on the other hand, only you can only have like so many people who like look identical before you're like, hmm. Yeah, I feel like the show 
has a little bit of an obsession with the concept of clones. And I don't think I cared about that very much. Um, I don't know. I I think a lot of the, a lot of the times when sci-fi shows um, like hyper focus on things that are like on the border of like possibility in real life, like like cloning, which actually is very much real. Um, I don't really care that care that much because I like I think we've talked about this before that like I like sci-fi a lot, but like as a scientist, I guess technically, um, I like just suspend disbelief for so much of it that like I don't actually focus that much on the science anyway. So I'm not that obsessed with the like, oh, they're clones and like the like the word clone is like really triggering for people, I feel like. Um and then like the whole clone club thing. I don't know. But so like I didn't find that to be like that much of a reveal. So I don't think I would never think to like withhold that because I don't think it's like a bomb dropping for me. Well I don't think I don't think it's a like spoiler to say that they're clones, but I do think the show ultimately revolves around that fact in a way that you would not necessarily know just from watching like the first 10 minutes or something like Yeah, it does take a while. Yeah. Um like I think about there was a short-lived show on the CW with Sarah Michelle Michelle Geller Prince uh where she um played twins and one of the twins was had this like luxurious life with like all this money and the other one I think was an alcoholic um and the, the only two options yeah obviously and the uh glamorous one uh Siobhan in fact, was her name, um, kills herself, or at least it looks like it, but you're not, it's not really. And the alcoholic takes over the, the pauper becomes the prince. Yes, exactly. That's the, that's the setup. And, and so, this was not a successful show. <laughs> what? Um, that show, like the premise of that show could easily be if you're just watching like the opening of Orphan Black could be like what that show is about. And so it's like, it's not a spoiler, but also it makes it a different show when that's the reason that, you know, this woman looks just like Sarah and why all of the other sort of things that are happening happen. That's true. And I think actually the first season, well, the fir- like the first third of the first season overall is is a little different than the rest of the show in the way that you're describing. I think, which is like, it is like not that I mean the whole show is definitely like thriller esque, but the beginning of the show is mu- is like its own like mystery that is like solved, and then we sort of transition into like sci fi all the time. Yeah, it gets progressively more like "quote unquote" uh, sciency as yeah. the show goes on, um, and also gets more into like corporations and like 
like bioethics stuff, whereas like the first season is much more like toward the kind of thrillery side of things. Not that element is throughout, but in the beginning it's much more like there's a mystery and like you don't know who's on your side. Yeah, and, and a detective. Yeah. Yeah. And much less guns about like what are the implications of like human cloning or gene editing and consent and all of these things that become like very central to the show later on in the first season they're really like not that big a deal other than just the sort of premise of like oh these people are clones and they didn't know it yeah that's true the show like ebbs and flows like becomes different things for a while in general like uh rather than having like every episode have like a sprinkle of different things it'll have like uh, a stretch of like a few episodes that are like focused like when all of the like prolethean things happen there's like a good stretch of time when you're like in prolethean farmland territory for like most of those episodes um which is interesting like it doesn't even though there are always like multiple characters at play in the show, like you're always following everybody, um, it has these like it's a it's very patient. Like it uh it's not it doesn't really pander. It kind of makes you come to it. Um they're like, We're doing this now for a while. I hope you're into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they do it's definitely a show that does a lot of reversals and there were times where I was like this feels like a little much because you're sort of introduced to these factions. You've got like Neolution and then like the Prolethians. And then as the show goes on, it's like, but wait, there are these different Prolethians and these different Neolutionists. And so there were definitely times along the way where I was like, oh God, like another reversal that like this, pe the people that you thought were bad aren't bad or they're different kind of bad. But I felt like they sort of, found they wrapped it up in the end in a way that I was like okay I this like works for me um if the show had I guess gone on for more years it might have become a problem of like okay you can only like introduce so many like factions within factions but it did um ultimately I think like pulled everything in it together in a way that was satisfying but they did kind of like change as those sort of different elements came into play they like changed course several times and i just recently saw the last season of the show so i'd watched all the other seasons when they were airing and then i didn't watch the last season and i think it was just like it wasn't out and then like it came out and I didn't get to it immediately. And so now it's been like several years and I hadn't seen it um, and kept saying I would get to it. And then I watched the first episode with my mom to try and get her into it. And I was like, wait, the show's so amazing. I forgot. So I rewatched the whole thing and then watched the last season for the first time. And when we first got into the last season, I was like, oh man, is this show going to like flounder in its last season? Because the setup of the last season is like a little bit, weird um but in the end I don't know if it was my favorite season but there was a lot of stuff by the end that I really loved 
which I think is one of the things about the show that was great as a whole. Like there are po- points where I would sort of lose, start to lose faith a little bit and then they would like pull me back into it. Yeah. Um, I think part of why I feel like it does that successfully is that it's like character uh, driven. Like it, they don't, uh, I never felt like they did anybody wrong that I wanted them to be faithful to. Like, at least the people that I cared about, I felt like um, were always, like, well-represented. And, like, the as the story changed, um, it, it was always still, like, faithful to those characters. And so, like, I think that makes for a satisfying final season when you, you feel like people, for the most part, like, evolve in the way you want them to um, are still acting within their what you think that their character should do. Yeah, I think I think the characters get pretty full stories. I think art maybe doesn't get like a lot, but you sort of don't really need it. I think Delphine actually also doesn't get a lot, but again, we're supposed to just look at her. Yeah. And listen to her <laughs> talk. <laughs> And I feel like like she, you do get a lot of her relationship with Cosima, um, whereas like Art is in kind of a weird position where like he has a relationship with Sarah, but like really his relationship with Beth was with Beth, but Beth is dead. But like other than the two of them, you do like even Donnie has like a huge transformation in the beginning of the show. He's a jerk to Allison, which I'd forgotten about. He's like a very shitty husband. Um, and he really like he turns out to be like a great character. I mean, there's lots of like weird and hilarious stuff along the way, but like Oh, Donnie. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one shift that I remember feeling like it didn't feel that realistic because I don't know exactly what happened. But yes, he was like he was an asshole in the beginning and also like an asshole that like was not a super dumb asshole, right? And then, like, the shift from when, like, she becomes aware, she becomes a, a self-aware clone, to him becoming her, like, dumb, bumbling husband was a little fast for me. I think it was probably a, like, writing shift and that they realized that, like, her having a, like, jerk for a husband, like, wasn't really playing because he's, like, a jerk in the sort of like stereotypical like neglectful husband way where he just sort of like isn't like pulling his weight um and but there's some snark like yeah there's like some like snarky back and forth um whereas like him being a sort of like yes man is a more uh it's just like more entertaining to watch and it also just makes more sense because she is such a like force that even though probably what she needs is somebody who gives some pushback, ultimately he actually sort of develops into somebody who's more worthy of her. Um, but like in that early period after she becomes self-aware when like she cheats on him, whatever, in that period of time, like he's just kind of like does whatever she says and like kind of follows her around in life and that was funny um 
that like that shift from him being her like what's it called her watcher or something her monitor her monitor oh there's a worse word than i even thought <laughs> that shift i thought was fast but yeah i think that was like it was just like jarring that it was intentional it seemed if i was trying to make a like character argument for it what i might say is that in flash in the flashbacks that we later get you see Allison like really struggling when she first finds out that she's a clone like when Beth tells her she seems to have like a really hard time with that like maybe more than any of the other characters she is the one that has the kind of like existential crisis of like am I real basically um and so in that period of time I could see her being a little bit more like hesitant or withdrawn but then she gets sort of like progressively more sort of like spun out of this kind of like and then Sarah comes in like Beth kills herself and Sarah comes into the picture and like Allison's trying to pretend that she's not a clone but Sarah's like give me the answers to all of my questions Um, and I could see that like pushing Allison to get like progressively more aggressive and like as she takes up more space in the room then Donnie takes up less like ultimately I think the writers probably just made a decision to change course with that character um but I think you could make an argument about like well this thing happened and so this happened and yeah yeah and then also though like it's not like he was like a brilliant monitor or whatever like he was like bad at it and like there's like i remember there's a scene early when like he's like leaves the house to go like in his car to go call that's like when you realize that he's actually a monitor because there's like you're suspicious and they're showing you just they do like a fake out because like he not he's not her monitor but then he is her monitor right but he didn't actually know like he didn't know what it was for so it wasn't like insidious or like it wasn't really even intended to be deceitful it was more just like because he thought they were part of like a study they are (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) right yeah that's right yeah yeah allison's a really interesting character um because she for a while she's kind of one note um, but then, like, later she gets her. Like, for the first, like, probably first season, maybe even the second season, she's kind of one note. But she ultimately, like, after she, like, really cracks, I guess maybe it's after the Ainsley thing that she starts, once she, like, cracks, and then she she really gets a good arc. Yeah, she does. I would think she also, like, starts to develop a relationship with Felix and starts to sort of, yes. like, get either get outside of her bubble a little bit more or become more like cognizant of the like suburban bubble that she exists in and which she really like continues to stay in that bubble like throughout the course of the show but she does it with more self-awareness than the kind of implication of like how she was living her life before where it was like well this just is how everyone lives and there's no other way to do it um and starts to kind of like take more control over her life yeah yeah because she her like 
whole spinning out thing and like not wanting to be a clone that you're describing all of that is kind of part of her whole story of like she's the one who is seems to be most affected by the quote like being adopted which like sure she was but like not adopted in vitro she had to adopt children wait but wasn't she sarah's the only one that's adopted all the other all the other clones were in vitro oh well the but, i mean okay. sarah helena so then i guess the the knowledge that she's not like biologically related to her parents rather to her mother i think she th- thought that she was because there's a moment when <laughs> um in the season where Allison runs for school board, there's an episode where Kasima has to pretend to be Allison. And then at one point yes. toward the end of the episode, they're both in the bathroom and Allison's mom comes in and she's being terrible to Allison because she's always like mean to Allison. And Allison like pulls Kasima out of a bathroom stall and she's like, mother, like this is my clone. And her mom is very sort of like skeptical about it. And then Kasima leaves. And her mom is like, you think that woman is your clone? You think that's logical? Allison, that woman was a mulatto. And Allison's like, what? <laughs> She's not. <laughs> I totally don't even remember that scene. That yeah. Is- and then her mom says, her mom, maybe it was earlier in the episode, but her mom confesses to her that she didn't use her father's sperm Mm -hmm. that she found some other donor who was supposed to be like superior better Mm -hmm. and she makes a comment after seeing Kasima that she was like well you're right I was duped like I he was supposed to be a very exclusive donor and apparently not oh boy okay I see so I totally forgot that but I guess what I'm uh what I'm referring to is this like general like negative relationship she has with her mom or like just a feeling of um not, not not being enough yeah i think that does come out of the fact like partly out of the like in vitro baby thing where it was sort of like she really because they had to do so much work to have her it was like she really had to like live up to that right and she internalized that but then also just the general like suburban thing and everything yeah well and then i think also the fact that she couldn't have children so she had to adopt was all part of this like yeah, yes. Her whole complex um, is just, like, very interesting. Because then it's, like, it all, everything just, like, unravels. It was, like, it only, she only needed one thing to unravel. Like, yeah. she, it was just, like, she was just missing one last thing. And she is, like, constantly trying to, like, piece back together everything. Like, make it all structured and regimented and always falling apart. Um, and, but it's, it is interesting that, she wants that so badly like she wants everything to make sense she's like always trying to like categorize like us them the good bad like in out um she's no tolerance for ambiguity whatsoever no um she's pretty fascinating um the the main plot of the show in a lot of ways has the least tangible impacts on allison but the most like emotional or like psychological impacts like 
the other characters don't are not really that concerned about like the fact that they're clones it's more like the like the effects that their being clones have on their life from the perspective of like um does someone own their dna like that kind of thing but for allison it's this very like it's existential yeah despite the fact that she appears to be very superficial and i don't know that she necessarily is like super cognizant of like what makes her so stressed or hysterical about it but she is yeah she's fundamentally disturbed by all of it yeah um but i think because she doesn't have any intellectual interest in it at all it's entirely inconvenient and disturbing to her and she just constantly is like demanding that people like package it back up into something that's easy so she can move on and she's annoyed that she can't just move on yeah yeah and she doesn't she i feel like is the character that sort of least buys into the like sister framing whereas like i think one of sarah's kind of transformations is that like she really buys into this like that the clones are like sisters like she creates this sort of familial bond um and i think kasima sort of has that but then also is just sort of like interested because like science um but allison she develops a sort of like familial feeling or like relationship with Sarah and Kasima, and she seems to have one with Beth, but she doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to like extend to like the clones that she hasn't met. Like she doesn't seem like she feels she like. She doesn't want to collect. Sa- yeah. Sarah's interested in collecting people. Yeah. Yeah. But Sarah's like classic sort of found family. Yeah. Which maybe comes out of the sort of like uh, adopted, adopted and her and Felix. Yeah. Yeah. It's natural to her to be kind of on the run and collecting people to protect and finding things that they need protecting from to give herself purpose. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though, because like Sarah's character is very, is like pretty consistent through out like she undergoes some transformation i think particularly in like the last season um but in especially if you think about like the first episode she is not set up as like particularly maternal like she hasn't seen her daughter in a year and she's sort of like always on the run. Like she's not set up as a like caretaker and yet like ultimately she does more caretaking than like anyone else. Whereas like Allison, who is like a mother and who like is as the sort of like housewife archetype is supposed to be the caretaker is kind of the least caretakery of any of them. Um, and Sarah, it both is makes a lot of sense for her character, but is also sort of unexpected from like if you just describe like she's a drifter with an attitude. Like I'm not sure that you'd be like she just wants to take care of people. I don't know if it's a like 
control thing in a but way. I don't, but like, I don't think she really takes care. I don't think she like. I think actually, Cosima takes care of people. Like Cosima is the only person who like asks people how they are. Sarah, I guess, takes responsibility yes. for people. Yes. That's more what she I mean. Takes I guess like they're. Yes, she takes everything personally. Like she's very loyal. Yes. I'm disinterested in Sarah because I like generally have this is like a me problem where like I'm disinterested in protagonists. <laughs> like I just like I it's like a non-factor. Like I don't even think about the main character. Not in everything, but like when you have a typical main she's like a typical main character, right? She's like a typical like not not anti-hero really, but like borderline where you're just it's like, oh like, you know, misfit like protagonist. You're supposed to care about her the most. Harry Potter, whatever. I don't care about her that I much. usually have that reaction to, like, male protagonists. I don't know that it, I don't really have that with, um, with female protagonists, but I hear what you're saying. I don't feel negatively about her. I just, I'm least interested in her, and, and she has the least character development, I, I think. I agree with you. That, like, in the end, she does. Like, she becomes more maternal toward Kira, in the last couple seasons. Um, I think like once like Cal gets back in the picture, she's, mm-hmm. she says things that sound like she's like motivated to care for Kira, but they don't have like a visible bond. I think she, I mean, I think Sarah kind of like feels like a, a fuck up. And so she's sort of always afraid that she's going to like screw something up and in her like interpersonal relationships it becomes just kind of easier to like sort of not do them basically like I think you kind of see that in her relationship with Mrs. S where like she didn't want to have to deal with like disappointing Mrs. S or like with like not being who this sort of like mother figure wanted her to be and so like the easiest thing for her to do was just to sort of like check out of that relationship and you can do that with other adults and sometimes you can even then like repair those relationships but like you can't do that with your kid because you're like they're not a developed person who can intellectualize like oh like this is about you know Sarah not about me or like oh we'll be able to like heal this eventually but like kids are like why does a mom love me and so I think Sarah has this weird relationship with Kira where like she cares about her a lot but she also doesn't know how to like put that into action in a way that is actually like loving like the way that Sarah shows her love is like fighting against like Goliath basically not like making you soup because you're sick and yeah which one of those of the love language is it (laughs) (laughs) I guess acts of service in a way in a way service acts you didn't ask for yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's not gifts and it's not quality time (laughs) no Definitely not. Um, and I think it becomes, on the one hand, it's like her, that's how like she's 
expressing like her love. And then on the other hand, it also is a really convenient excuse to not actually have to be physically present. Like, and I think it is both. Like, I think it is, it's done as like an act of love, not just as an act of avoidance, but it is also an act of avoidance. Yeah. Now that you're talking about all of this, it makes me wonder like why Sarah is so messed up because I think like the, um, the way that they reveal information about Sarah to Felix's upbringing with Mrs. S happens over such a long period of time that I think like, um, there were times when I like my like perception of her upbringing became like immutable. And then like they introduce more information and you're like, it doesn't fit, but it's just more so because like, it's so drawn out. Like I think like early in, trying to remember like the way I thought about it early in the show when you don't really know anything about Mrs. S other than like here she is with Kira and like she seems pretty mean and Sarah talks about her like she's a mean lady I was like Mrs. S okay was she like an orphan she ran an orphanage this is like an Annie situation where there like a, a lot of kids there like I was picturing it was like 25 foster kids or something and then it's like it's still not clear to me because it it sounds like her and Felix or Sarah and Felix were in multiple places, right? Not just with Mrs. I think I don't remember what age they came to her, but like they weren't, it wasn't like they were like infants. Yeah. So I think they spent some amount of time like bouncing around probably. And I think the, the only thing that Sarah really says is that like, she was angry from like a young age. Like I forget exactly what she says, but she basically says like the fact that she didn't have like parents, that she was like mad about that from like a young age. And that that basically just like continued <laughs> into her adult life. And that's totally allowed and very normal. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think they do. It's also one of those. Like, I think I just sort of inferred that she, like, had some kind of, like, childhood abuse also because, like, it happens and because of Sarah's particular, like, brand of... The leather jacket. <laughs> yes, like, her particular brand of, of anger. Um, but, the eyeliner. Yeah. But I can't say how much of that is, like... um something that I inferred from like actual information versus just like um or I can't say how much of it is inference versus like textual did Mrs. S adopt them yes when why do they call her Mrs. S um I mean I assume that they like came to her when they were old enough that they weren't going to call her like mom i mean they do occasionally use the word mom but usually not in her presence um but i just sort of assumed it was a like they came to her late enough that they weren't just gonna like call her mom um and i don't know siobhan's a hard name for kids <laughs> i don't know I, I don't know yeah i feel like i don't buy that like well it, i guess also her initials are like ss i don't know if it's a oh right because she's siobhan sadler you're right i guess i always thought it was mrs 
Schwan. Like I thought it was like her first name. It's just no, but I, yeah, I guess maybe they called her. I guess it's a sh- it could be a shortening of like Mrs. Sadler, which, which is, is worse. <laughs> like that's yes, but that's a very like uh, orphan exactly. <laughs> it's like it sounds like she runs an orphanage. So like uh, I, I don't know. It's just like a weird vibe. I, well, I just, she does say I think that maybe she had like taken care of kids before. But she adopts Sarah and Felix and, like, moves them from the U.K. to Canada. Oh, is it Canada? So in the beginning, (laughs) well, I'd say it hesitantly because in the beginning of the show. Because they are intentionally extremely vague about all locations. They are. So in the beginning, they are. And they make references to New York and also to Canada. And, like, and it was very. um, And I think they even talked about that they sort of specifically made the show, like amorphous but then later in the show they actually do make references to canada like at one point felix i think this is in the last season says something about mrs s like bringing two orphans to canada so in the beginning it's very sort of like they could be anywhere and then later they're like it's canada (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and then in the um which i guess we'll get into but in the uh serial Serial box. Box. In the, in the audio. Conti- well, I guess it's also a book. In the continuation. Yes. In the spin-off, sort of. Except it's really literally a continuation. It doesn't spin in any particular direction. Well, but it's not... I guess I would call it a spin-off in that it is... Like, it's in a different medium. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, they are very explicit about locations in in the serial box yeah. i read the first episode yesterday i like that you can read it and listen i didn't know that that was a thing and it was i was like oh this is interesting um because i think i so i knew that it existed um i'm gonna do an explanatory comma because people could have watched the show and not know that this existed there's a app startup media storytelling company called serial box and they do i think they're all of their stories are like sci-fi stuff and they have this continuation of orphan black which takes your takes place eight years after the finale of the show it's like eight i don't think i think it's eight it could be like 10 it's like a significant but not super huge amount of time after the end of the series and it's like 10 years, characters. right? Because Charlotte is like 22. I th- yeah, 21. it's it's in that vicinity. And so I knew that it existed, that Serial Box was like a company that existed and that they were doing like an Orphan Black continuation. Um, but I had heard a writer for Serial Box talk about it. And the way that she talked about it was that the setup was almost like a television writer's room because they have multiple writers and they each check take turns writing different sections and so i was like oh it's just like an audio drama um but uses they have kind of like a tv set up for like their writer's room um and it's just being released through this app but then you and i talked about it a little bit and you said that tatiana maslani does all of it and so i was like oh okay and then when i actually looked it up it was like oh no they're making they basically are writing a book because you can read it as an ebook 
or you can listen to it. But when you listen to it, it's just like Tatiana Maslany reading slash performing it. But it's not like it's not an audio drama, really. Right. It's, it's not. It's written. an audio book, basically. Right, right. It's not a script. Yeah. Right. It has narrative. Like, yeah. It's a yeah. It's like a book. It's like a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're listening to an audiobook. Yeah. And so I think they, their sort of like pitch for what Serial Box does is that it's like, um, oh, I can't think of what the phrase is, but they're telling stories in the sort of like Dickensian style of like, okay, you get like one chapter this week and then you get another chapter the next week. Um, which is an interesting model. Although I'm actually, I guess I'm like maybe a little bit disappointed because I was expecting, because I had a different expectation of what it was. And so then I was like, oh, so I kind of had to adjust my mindset. Um, so I read the first one. Um, I didn't listen to it. And they introduce a new clone who doesn't know that she's a clone um and she's like narrating the first chapter which was i guess maybe a little bit of a weird entry point as someone who knows the show like if you haven't if you hadn't watched the show and you started reading it you'd be like yeah okay this is the story but like as somebody who knows the show it was it's it was weird to have a character that we didn't know that I was like, well, clearly this person's a clone because they weren't just going to like pick some like random character that didn't matter to be like narrating for us. But it is kind of a weird like. Yeah. Why would somebody who's an un- unaware clone, who are they, who are they talking to? I guess. Right. Like it's like if they're not self-aware, what is, who are they telling the story to before they're aware? Sorry, say more about like it's it's written in first person or not? No, it's written in third. Oh, okay, it's really hard for me to remember when I just listened to her to Tatiana Maslany read it. It's hard for me to remember like what the narrative in between said. I just sort wow. of like remember it in this vague. Like I I remember it as if I had watched the show. Like there is there isn't oh, interesting. There's for me no difference in my mind between the show that I visually saw and like the story that mm. I heard her narrate. Yeah, so it's close third. Um Okay. And in- it's interesting that you say that and I wonder how much of that is because Tatiana Maslany plays all the clones mm-hmm. and so you already know you know like what the character like looks like yeah, and then I if have she's hundreds of hours of like data points in my head so yeah. i can just like rearrange them to cr- like fill in for this new story that yeah. has like new content but it's like all the same people yeah and a new character who looks the same as the other ones right so <laughs> yeah it's like the only thing that's new there's like a whole thing where you see like delphine and cosima's new house when i when i say see i mean there you yeah. don't but in my head they're you remodeling do- a victorian yes and that house is not a house that's ever appeared on the show and so then my brain was like what was this what would this house look like and that is like all filled in imagination things but like the rest of it you're just like oh i know these people yeah just like moving paper dolls around in my head (laughs) (laughs) interesting though that you 
there's like no distinction in your mind. Yeah, no, I like doesn't. I I wouldn't be able to. Remember. It's the same way how like I can't remember if something was said in like English or Spanish. Like I can't remember if something if I read something or I or I saw it. Hmm. Is that abnormal? I think. So. Yeah, I mean, I I can, but I don't have that many instances where it would be easy to confuse them because well i guess like um uh, a book that you saw the movie of that you they blur together that happens to people like if something was different mm. in, like you know like people are like i don't remember like like you read it in harry potter or you saw the movie i mean i could or... say like i don't remember if this scene was in the movie or not but not i don't think it would happen in reverse oh that happens to me where i'm like i can't remember if like if i, I mean, read I it might... in the book and it wasn't in the movie i may have imagined i may i fill in the dots in my head so i'm like oh, oh yeah no. that's when like this person does this and this and this and you're like that was not in the movie at all i'm like oh but i can see it in my head no i think part of it might be that i have some amount of like separation in I don't 100% imagine the actors from movies as the characters that they're playing. Assuming that I read the book first, I have a like picture of how I imagine them in my head. And then there's the actors. And so the, the way that I imagine the character might like change a little bit to be closer to what the actor looks like, but they are not absolutely the same. Um, same. But then I just put the book version in my in place of the actor i'm like i don't like that person they pick i just put my like book version in place of them but then it, in my head it, now that i think about it it kind of looks like a little like a cartoon version because it's kind of yeah. like drawn out you know i'm just like Ugh, that actor is not what i wanted i'll just put in this other one that i like better yeah but it's not it, it's not like close enough in my brain i mean now that i'm saying this i'm like doubting myself but Oh, you shouldn't. This is definitely probably me being weird. Yeah. But I can't, I don't know if it's that I have a terrible, I don't know if it's that I have like a really good imagination when reading or a really poor memory from I think it's both. movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. I mean, I, this is coming from somebody who like, I frequently ask people in real life about things that were definitely just a dream. So, like, I confuse reality and dreams a lot. Yeah, you you have asked me a couple of times, like, did we talk about this thing or was that a dream? Um, and that does not happen to me. I do sometimes forget if I expressed something to someone. Like, did I just think that or did mm. I tell you it? Did I just think I should tell you or did I actually tell you? Um, but not, it's not like, did I dream that? It's like. Did I mean to tell you and forget to? Or right. Did I actually? Not like my thoughts are so loud and coherent sentences that I literally can't remember if I said them. <laughs> it's just you don't, you just like, I don't remember if you like managed to remember. Yeah. No, yeah. I like. Did I express it or just think that I should express it? Right. Yeah. No, I definitely blur those things all together. <laughs> but also, I guess similarly, I don't know if it's that my dreams are super vivid or that my memory for real life is poor. <laughs> Perhaps both. Perhaps both. Um, who's your favorite clone? Huh. That's hard. 
I mean, I think my favorite, like the one that I like care for the most is Cosima. But I think the one that I like enjoy watching the most is Helena. Hmm. When I first watched the show, Sarah was was my favorite, which is not because she's the protagonist. It's because... I'm predictable, and if you put someone in a leather jacket, I'm yep. like, what's mm. their deal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in... <laughs> in re- and, and I go, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> in re-watching the show, um, Cosima was probably my favorite. I think when I first watched the show, because also Cosima does some things that are kind of like, morally gray or like questionable because of her relationship with like science whereas like when sarah makes questionable choices it's that like she wants to like she wants to do the right thing she just is bad at like i don't know doing the right thing whereas like kasima there are times where she's like i'm gonna do this because it'd be good science and you're like "Mm." Or at least that was my reaction. And so I think the first time that I watched, there were parts where I was like, I like can't, I can't like get down with this. Um, but in rewatching the show, I think I had a different relationship to that. And then I think also the arc that they take her character on is really interesting. And she is in kind of a unique position as both like the subject and the like i just want to say studier i'm like there must be a better word for that as the as the scientist and also the science experiment um she exists in this kind of like weird space that like i'm sure is very challenging and i guess i wasn't totally willing to like give her credit for that the first time they don't investigate it enough despite the fact that it's a a prominent part of the story i think they just use utilize that as a tool to like um access the story of like what's happening in dyad and yeah. like the antagonists in that story but they don't interrogate her experience early. i think as she gets yeah i think as she gets as her health deteriorates it becomes more apparent because now she has a very personal stake and also as a scientist it's a like very big sort of conundrum of and she i think when she's when she can take herself out of the equation and sort of dehumanize things a little bit it's also like a really like fun problem of like okay well we don't have like the original dna but we need to like you know figure out this thing sciencey words um i think you get to see that interplay a little bit more and there's like less concern that she's going to like turn out to be a bad guy i guess like cuz cuz you have the like uh protection of like well she can't fuck over the subject because she's the subject yeah which is like a sad fail safe to need but yeah okay so as you talked about the sort of like moral relativism uh it made me think a lot about like 
you're right. Like Sarah and Cosima are different in that way. And that there is this like fundamental discomfort in Cosima's uh, willingness to blur those moral lines. Um, and it makes me think about like, okay, so Sarah is like objectively sometimes unlikable, right? Lots mm-hmm. of people don't like her, but you'd never doubt that she'll do the right thing when we're talking about right or wrong within the context of her world, right? So she is internally consistent and she has a clear moral compass and she will always follow it, right? Whereas Cosima doesn't have a consistent moral compass and that's really uncomfortable, right? Like, like Like you don't really want to get on her ship if you don't know what direction is north all the time. Um, and it makes me think about the hundred because um so Clark is like Sarah mm-hmm. and her mom There's mom, that leather jacket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she gets new ones over the time, even though like there are no stores on any of the planets that they go to. Okay. So Clark is like Sarah and Clark's mom is like Cosima. Yeah. Because there are so All many All these doctors out here and their moral relativism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah doing weird science uh you want to like her mom because you're like oh she like seems like generally a good person and then mm-hmm. randomly she does shit that you're like what like this is wrong like for everybody or like this only benefits you or like you're the definition of like the greater good is very different yes and then and the protagonist in these stories, I mean, so Clark definitely thinks about the greater good. Now we're talking about the hundred, but so Sarah definitely like. I think she thinks about the, the, the greater, greater good. good in the sense of like for the clones, yes. like yes. in that sense. Right. But she is like, she's there to protect her people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know what she's going to do. She's going to always do the thing that protects her people. And so that is like a safe space to exist within. And we're okay with watching her, like, shoot other people. Uh, as long as she, like, shows empathy, you're, like, cool. We're, like, in our world. And then you have this person who's, like, because they think big. And I find that, I find, actually, that char- those characters to be relatable, right? Where you're, like, oh, like, this person has vision. Um, and they don't exist just within the confines of, like, what you can anticipate. And it's not all wrapped up. And so it's... I hadn't thought about that for Cosima, but you're right. There are definitely times, there are sometimes like a period of time where you're like, she's off the rails. Um, and it's kind of scary. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know that she would make the right, I mean, she worked for Diet in the first place, right? And like, sure, like in the very beginning, maybe she didn't know, but like, then she knows that things are shitty and she like, oh, she only gets really on the right path because like you're saying, she you know that she'll at least protect the people that you care about because she's one of them. I think you also, you see that even more so in Delphine. Mm -hmm. But Delphine is this weird, like, kind of an enigma, and she's always very sort of like... she's French. You can never really know the French. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, it seems like 
the thing that Delphine says, and I believe that this is Delphine's interpretation of events, but I'm not sure that that means that it is objectively true, is like Delphine says that like all the choices that she's making are like to keep Cassina safe, which is a little bit different than like the angle that Cassina is coming from. Also patronizing. Yeah, incredibly. Um, but it's interesting because like Delphine makes some like very morally gray or like even immoral like choices along the way and you are never like 100% sure whose side she's really on and she's just kind of like a weird interesting character and they have to like her and Kasima, I think have a lot of push and pull about that because Kasima's is like, you can't just, you know, make choices about my well-being and like do things that I wouldn't want you to do, which is interesting because Kasima kind of also does that, but in a different way. For Delphine? Not for Delphine, but for like the clone, like her, uh, Kasima does it for science. Yes, she she says she says to Delphine that Delphine shouldn't do that for her because she thinks that her and Delphine are on equal playing field. But Cosima thinks she can do that for people that she thinks she's smarter than. Yeah, basically, her, yeah. her like world is a, is a hierarchy of like intelligence and like capability. Um, that's how she thinks about things in yeah. general. Although it's interesting because she's very, she is empathetic, like she has a lot of this sort of like push and pull of like she if someone is standing in front of her like Kasima connects to them on a very like emotional level and then the minute that person is out of view like it's as though like they, it's a very out of sight out of mind kind of like approach yes I relate to her because <laughs> because like it has to do with what what like pulls you forward like what what motivates you right and like i'm compelled by her the fact that she's excited to and like inquisitive and like mm -hmm. that's what drives her and then she's like reminded and like plugged back into like the bigger picture and then she's like oh yes like this is what we're doing but it's like, really kind of the opposite of sarah whereas like you could be standing right in front of sarah and sarah is like not engaging with you but when you're not there, like she will, like all of her choices, if you're one of her people, like all of her choices are about like taking care of her people, but she does not like individually emotionally engage with them in a lot of ways. Okay, that's part one of our conversation on Orphan Black. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Casually Obsessed so that you don't miss the second part of our conversation. This show is produced by me, Chelsea Bergen, and the theme music is I Dunno by Grapes. You can find us on Instagram at Casually Obsessed 